Once in a while you come to a verse in the Bible that's like um, so basic, it hits such a bullseye core to where we live, and it gives a, a sense of responsibility, but it also brings a clarity and a freedom that we say, that's what I was made for. And this morning we come to one of those verses in the book of Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. It's a bullseye verse that tells every one of us what we were made for, how we're to function properly, and it does it without putting burdens or heavies on us This is one of the most freeing, universally applicable verses or statements you'll ever read. You can read any of your favorite authors, and you will not find a better description of what you are here on earth to accomplish than this verse right there. It's so easy in life to get... um, uh, disoriented, to lose our sense of equilibrium, and to uh, lose our sense of direction. I talked with one of our children who got here early this morning, and he says, yeah, I said, good for you to get here at 8 o'clock this morning. He said, yeah, but I had to button my shirt three times. And he, he finally got it right. But, you know, if you get the first button wrong... They all go wrong. And sometimes life is just that way. It's like, how did I get to where I am? And then then his brother said, yeah, and he had to put his shoes on twice. I said, that's true. If you get the left one on the right foot, you're going to put the right one on your left foot. It's just the way it goes. True story. This week, a Canadian airliner was up at 30,000 feet. The pilot had fallen asleep, which is okay. The FAA permits pilots to sleep for up to 40 minutes. And it didn't say how long he'd been asleep. But when he woke up, they said to him, there is a cargo plane approaching. And he looks up and sees a bright light right in front of him. And he instinctively takes what they call the stick, the the steering wheel of the plane, and thrusts it forward. Literally 20 people were injured on the Canadian airline flight because they hit the ceiling of the the, the inside of the, the plane and things were flying all over the place. And it turned out that the bright light in front of him was Venus. The planet. True story. Now, I'm not a pilot, but I know the difference between a cargo aircraft and, and a planet. Are you kidding me? Oh, it's so easy to get disoriented. To lose our bearings as we're cruising along through life. And to overreact. 
in the middle of those kind of situations. Well, we come this morning to an incredible verse in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, if this verse was the instrument panel of your life, you could fly well. I was never trained as a pilot. Do we have any pilots here? We've got a couple. I, 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 I set you up. Okay, come on. Show it off. Let's see. Anthony, get your hand up there. He's not only a drummer, he's a pilot. Okay, we got another one. Okay, very good. Now, my dad was a pilot. My dad would say, hey, would you guys like to go out to lunch? And instead of McDonald's, we'd get in the plane and we could fly up to central Florida and have lunch somewhere and fly back. We did that on a number of times. My dad would take us in the plane and fly us over low over where we would swim off islands in Florida. And you'd look down and there's 12-foot sharks swimming right where we were swimming. And we didn't swim there anymore. (laughs) And my dad would teach me certain instruments. There's the one that shows where you are in relation to the horizon. And if you're dipping, you're, you're descending. And if, if you're, the line is above the horizon, you're rising. And if it's tilting and so forth, you can tell where you are according to the horizon. Then there's the altimeter. That's how high you are off the ground. And you trim the altimeter before you take off because you're not at, at sea level. You're at whatever level. And so you have to set that so you know in relation to where you took off uh, so when you land. And anyway, you've got all these different uh, instruments. And if you've seen a, a, a jet or a commercial airliner, it's, it's almost like there's a thousand instruments on the, on the dashboard. Well, on this dashboard, there are only three. One is to act justly. The second one is to love mercy. And the third one is to walk humbly. Now just imagine those, this is why, this is a simple verse. This takes a thousand instruments of people telling us what we ought to be doing when we're alive, and it reduces it down to three simple things. Act justly. Love mercy. And walk humbly. Now as I look around, some of you work for CDC. Some of you are in medicine. Some of you are salespeople. Some of you are investors. Some of you work with computers. We've got media people, AJC, USA Today. We've got different people in our congregation, in the different sectors of society. But no matter what sector of society you work in or what station in life, some of you are just starting out. You've just graduated from college. Some of you are getting ready to retire. We've got every station represented here this morning. But no matter what station in life, no matter what career path you have, these three instruments apply no matter what it is that you are doing in your life. God wants you to act justly. To love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. Now, it's amazing that this comes from Micah, one of the prophets. 
Let me just say, the prophets overall, there are 17 Old Testament prophetic books, and there are, is one in the New Testament, the book of Revelation, which, by the way, we've got 10 books to go in our study through the Bible. Uh, 10 weeks from now, it'll be actually 12 weeks from today, we're going to be finishing and we're going to be doing the book of Revelation in one Sunday. You won't want to miss that. It's my favorite book of the Bible. I thought the one way to be sure that we'll finish is to save the best to last. So we're saving the book of Revelation till the end, but we, we've, we're in the middle of the prophets now. The reason God gave the prophets is so that the people don't lose equilibrium. It has everything to do when you're in the cockpit of your life and it's like you're flying through the fog and you don't know where to go. You need clarity in life. That's what the prophets are for. They're to give you clarity. It takes complex things and makes it simple. That's what the prophets do. If you can't figure out the rest of the Bible, go to the prophets and you'll probably find something that you can understand. It makes it very simple. Micah preached or prophesied the same time as Isaiah. But everybody knew Isaiah. Nobody knew Micah. Isaiah was the political prophet. He was the prophet to the king. Micah was the prophet to the country and to the common people. But Micah saw God. Chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 is a theophany. It's one of the pre-revelations of God before Jesus came and really revealed God. There were times where God would appear, and Micah saw one of those appearances, and he declared the presence of God, and he wrote about it. Micah chapter 1, verse 4, Look, the Lord is coming from His dwelling place. He comes down and treads the high places of the earth. The mountains melt before Him. The valleys split apart like wax before the fire. He's talking about him seeing the presence of God coming. Now, Micah also saw the birth of Christ. He's the only prophet, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that he predicted that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. He did this 750 years before Jesus was born. He predicted that when the Messiah would come, he would be born in Bethlehem. Micah not only predicted the second coming, or the first coming of Christ, he predicted the second coming. He talked about the Lord gathering a remnant. He talked about the Lord coming when He would rule the nations. When He would have there be a time when the nations would take their swords and beat them into plowshares and take their spears and beat them into pruning hooks because no more would nation take war against another nation. How many of you are looking forward to that day? That day is coming. It did not come at His first coming because it wasn't supposed to. That is going to happen when Jesus comes back a second time. And in the middle of all this teaching, predicting the coming of Christ, He drops a plumb line down the middle of God's people that is as practical today 2,750 years later than it was the day He gave it. When it comes to life, whether you're living in ancient times or in contemporary modern times, no matter what your station in life, younger, older, male, female, investor, consumer, governor, 
Whatever you do, there are three things God's looking for. There are three standards. There's three instruments on the instrument panel of your soul that God wants you to pay attention to. And the more you pay attention to these three, the better you will fly through life. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now to set up these three instruments or gauges by which we are being inspected by God Himself. Micah sets it up this way. He has shown you. This is not stuff that Micah made up. This is coming from God. These are the instruments by which God is inspecting us. He has shown you these three things. He has shown you, O oh man. It's the Hebrew word Adam or Adam from which we get mankind. It's referring to the whole human race. That's why this is universally applicable for people through the ages. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. What is morally good. What is good to God and when you do it, it's good to you. It's the same word that God said every day of the six days of creation. He said, let there be light on day one and there was light. And God said, that's good. And every day of creation, that's good. That's good. And when he created man, he said, that's very good. It's the same word here as God's will for us is when God himself did his will and created the world and said, that is good. Now he's saying, this is good for you. It's good. I think of the verse in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may know and approve of God's will. His good, His pleasing, and His perfect will. Don't you love it? And what's it say? This world system is going to give you other gauges to judge yourself by, but don't let the world confuse you into thinking that there are these other gauges that are more important but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove the will of God, so that you can experience the will of God. And then he describes the will of God, and he says, it is good. It's the same word here. It's pleasing, and it's perfect. Sometimes going in, doing the will of God may seem like, well, God, I hope you know what you're doing here because it sure doesn't make sense to me. It, it sometimes seems like doing the will of God is not going to be pleasing, but once we do it, then we discover just how pleasing the will of God is. Have you ever found that to be true? Isn't it awesome? Well, here, He has shown you, oh man, what is good. 
You don't have to guess about it. He's shown it to you. And what he requires of you. Isn't it nice that we have a God who reveals what he expects from us? That he hasn't just cast us off to figure it out. Oh, I hope you like this, God, because I don't know what you want. But we have a God who has revealed very clearly what he expects. And that word of what is required, it means it's the gauge that God will continue to come back to and hold us accountable to. It's the standard, the plumb line. This is what I want for you. And he's going to continue to inspect us according to these three things. So He's revealed it. It's good. It's good for all of us. And it's what God is going to continue to hold us accountable to. And what is it? Simple. Three things. To act justly. To love mercy. To walk humbly. Let's look at the first gauge. It's really a matter of integrity. Integrity of our lifestyle. Integrity in every area of our lives. To act justly. There are several Hebrew words that would do us well to learn. None of us are going to be Hebrew scholars, and that misses the point. But there are a few words, now that we're studying the Old Testament, that we ought to at least learn while we're still in the Old Testament, because the entire Old Testament, with only one chapter exception, is written in Hebrew. And we've already covered that. That was in Daniel, and it was written in Aramaic. But the rest of the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, and we come to certain words here that are worth learning. The first one is mishpat. Now, I was raised in New Jersey, so I have kind of a, a, a strong, um, emphatic tone to my voice. We who are raised in New Jersey tend to be the emphatic about things. So it, it comes in handy as a preacher. But mishpat. Mishpat. Let's all say it together. Mishpat. We're learning Hebrew. Say it again. Mishpat. Now... <clears throat> To act justly. Now, mishpat is used in the area of decision making. And it was used for a judge whose decisions would have bearing over the people. But it wasn't relegated exclusively to the judge. It was used of all of us in our decision making. And what it's saying is, when it says act justly, is as you go through life, make Good decisions. And the fact of the matter is, you and I are judged by our decisions. There are a lot of notable people today, I'll leave the names out, but who are in trouble with the law because of bad decisions. Here it says to act justly, to make decisions knowing That we are with the Lord in making these decisions. And that we're accountable to Him. Mishpat. To act 
justly, a matter of integrity in all of our dealings. The opening session of the UN was this past week, and I don't know whether you read about it, but they introduced the biggest crisis on the planet right now, and it's crime. Seven percent of the world global economy is crime. It's in the top ten income producers across the globe is illegal stuff. Human trafficking is among the worst of it, but that's not all of it. Selling illegal merchandise and all kinds of other things are all part of this illegal crime system that is such uh, out of control. And, and the, the family, the crime families are so, they're organized so radically different in an electronic age than they ever were before that it's so much more difficult to get to the root of it. We're dealing with a planet that is under siege of people who are not acting justly. Brothers and sisters, you and I are on this planet to be salt in a decaying society. And when the UN holds session and the opening session is about the crisis of crime, it puts an onus on you and I to act justly. Are you with me? This has everything to do with the way we drive around Atlanta, the way we pay our taxes, the way we treat our neighbors and our children. God is looking for a group of people who follow Jesus who will dare to act justly no matter how others are acting around them. And if it involves a pay raise or, or getting a bonus because of illegal activity, you say, no, I'm not going to cross that line. I'm going to act justly because this gauge on my dashboard says act justly. And that's what God's going to hold me accountable to. It's what I'm going to hold myself accountable to. I'm not going to fall prey to the bottom line. The second gauge. To love mercy. Are you ready for your second Hebrew word? This has about treating all people with dignity. To treat people decently. If you haven't seen it on our church website, I want to ask you to go there this afternoon. LilburnforJesus.com. There's an article written by a very good friend of mine, lives here in Atlanta, Mark DeMoss. He spoke at Brigham Young University. The transcript of his talk at Brigham Young University is on our church website. Now, my friend is a born-again Christian. He's one of the only born-again Christians that's ever been invited to speak at Brigham Young University. It's a magnificent article dealing with how in this politically charged and polarized nation in this election year, how we as Christians and otherwise need to treat each other with respect over social issues with whom we disagree. Christians can be among the most unkind people on earth. No matter what your political views are, I hope you realize that as we approach November, we're going to have everyone running for president on different bumpers of people parked in our parking lot. And whether they vote Republican or Democrat or Independent, we have one Savior, Jesus Christ, and that overcomes our political differences. We're not united. 
We're not united in a political party. We're united in Jesus Christ. And we dialogue. We can talk maturely. If you hold a different view and you see somebody parking next to you in our church, talk with them. Why are you voting for that person? Share with me. Tell me. But don't, don't do it with an attitude. I'll give you five minutes. You give me five minutes. That's fine. Do, do it however you want, but be civil. If we can't do it within the body of Christ, how are we ever going to dialogue with a, with a community that's rotting? With a nation that's in serious trouble? We have got to learn to dialogue. And this one, to love mercy, to treat people with dignity. Are you ready for the Hebrew word? Chesed. You gotta, if you've had a sinus problem, you've got a drip, you'll do better on this one. You gotta kinda clear your throat. Now, just to be nice to the person sitting in front of you, of course, but chesed, chesed, chesed. It, it's, if this is the only Hebrew word you ever learn, you know, you need to know this one. And I'll tell you why. You know, in the New Testament, we don't know too many Greek words, but we know agape. Agape is sacrificial love. Well, hesed is the Hebrew Old Testament equivalent. What agape is in the New Testament, hesed is in the Old Testament. It's God's sacrificial, unconditional, undeserved, merciful love. Isn't that beautiful? It's this word that David said, because your love is better than life. Your chesed is better than life. My lips will praise you. I will lift up my hands in the sanctuary. Sometimes I come to worship and I'm thinking, man, I don't feel like worshiping today. Lord says, lift your hands. Is my, is my chesed worth it or not? Okay, Lord, for your chesed, I'll lift my hands. I'll get my hands out of my pockets this morning to, to lift my hands to your chesed. Hallelujah. Now, what's it say about this chesed? Chesed. It's got a good... It's got a... It's like adding a little cardamom in your coffee. Just give it a little... It says we're to love this chesed. To love it. To value it above anything else in life. That's why of the three gauges, it's the one in the middle. If you can't glance a little bit to the left and see the act justly, and you can't glance a little bit to the right and see the one about, about, uh, what's the other one? Walking humbly. If all you can see is the one in the middle, it's fine. Just love mercy. Because that's what it's all about. That's what makes sense out of everything else. The, the, the other two really flow out of that one. And the word to love it, this is something. It's the same word of Laban so loved Rachel that he was willing to work for Rachel's father for 14 years and not resent it. It seemed like a day. Because he loved her so much that all the hard labor he put in to get her hand in marriage was worth it. That's a good one. And it's the same word of Jonathan, who so loved David that he really gave David the right to the throne, which would have been Jonathan's. He gave that to David. He loved David 
more than he loved himself. That's how much we are to love chesed. Third gauge. To walk humbly. The word walk is used more than a thousand times in the Old Testament. Yeah. Now listen to this. It means to live, and it means to die. It means to go, and it means to come. It's not just literal physical walking. It's being. No matter what you do, it's the Colossians 3.17. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. It's the, in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your steps. It's walk, it's live, it's live, die, come, go. Sometimes you don't know if you're coming or going. It doesn't matter. Wherever you are, do it humbly. Now, the word walk is used more than a thousand times. The word humbly is only used twice in the Old Testament. Once is Proverbs 11.2, as opposed to being proud, to be humble. The only other place is right here in Micah. And it doesn't mean to cower. It doesn't mean to grovel. It doesn't say, now get down and crawl or grovel. It says walk. But acknowledging the fact that your walk, even when you may have a little swagger, it's a Holy Ghost swagger, because it all goes back to Him. It's a walking, and the really... The three phrases to set up the three gauges, the fact that he's revealed it, it's good, it's what he's inspecting, the three gauges to act justly, love mercy, walk humbly, all of it only makes sense in light of the last three words, with your God. If you don't do it with your God, you're not going to walk humbly. If you don't do it with your God, you're not going to love mercy. If you don't do it with your God, you're not going to make right decisions and act justly. Now, if we're saying that it all comes back to that center gauge to love mercy, how is that possible? How is it possible for me to love God's mercy? Is this something I'm to drum up inside myself? I can't do it. I'll always fall short. But how do I fall in love with the mercy of God? And the answer is really so beautiful. It's the moment you realize that the mercy of God has fallen in love with you. It's that when Jesus went to the cross... He did something there for you that you could never have done for yourself. He took upon Himself the punishment that you and I deserve for all of our wrongdoing, all of our mess-ups, all of our making wrong choices and not loving God. 
and not walking humbly for all of our pride and our injustice and our insensitivity and our isolation from people and our who cares attitude and all of those things that infect our humanity. Jesus took all that on Himself and He died in our place. That's the Hesed of God. And when you are overcome with like a tidal wave of the chesed of God, and you realize, you did that for me. That gets into your, into your spirit. It gets under your skin. It gets into your heart. It takes out your, your selfish heart. And it puts within you a new heart. That now that new heart is going to love His mercy more than anything. This morning I have a strong sense that some of you today are just waiting for an opportunity to embrace the chesed of God. To surrender your life to the chesed of God. That you're tired of living without the chesed of God. And today you want to resign yourself to turn your life over to His love. So that like the Apostle Paul said, the love of Christ constrains me. It overshadows me. It motivates me. It controls me. That's what God wants. That's why John Calvin could say, love God and do as you please. If you get that center gauge right in your soul to love mercy, to put first His chesed in all of your life, everything else will fall in place. No, Jesus wants to live with you. He wants to be with you today and tomorrow and every day of your life. He wants to live out His life through you. Would you, this morning, would you turn your life over to Christ and let Him have the supremacy, to let Him have control of you? Would you stand with me? I want to pray for us. Receive from the Lord this morning. As I lead in prayer, just make this your prayer. Lord Jesus, I do turn to You today. I want You to be first in my life. I want Your love to take control of me. So I receive the benefit of your crucifixion and your resurrection. Pour the love of God, the chesed of God, into me today. I receive from you. I drink it in, Lord. I drink in the love of God today.